I will be getting my my hat and my little cape. Oh, oh wait, hold on, Ella's here. Hi. Yes. Oh, Ella, Ella, you sound a little. What? Where's your accent, Ella? Ella, are uh, you good? Gonna <laughs> order some beige food. The nip rub. That's harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> oh, I sure do love my free healthcare. Oh, that was Australian. Yeah. What was right. that? Sorry. All, all the accents that have free healthcare, I just kind of blend together. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Let's Learn Everything, the show where we learn about anything and everything interesting. This episode, as always, we are going to be covering one big science topic. We're going to be asking and answering a science question, and we'll be dipping our toes into a little miscellaneous topic. My name is Caroline, and this episode, I'm talking about the carcinization or the crabification <gasps> of every living thing. <laughs> oh, amazing! I'm so ready for this. I, yeah, I hope. I, I wonder if Ella will happen to have any anecdotes today for that. Oh, a classic. <laughs> I feel like this one, like I've wanted to talk about this for a really long time, and this was just like, it felt right. It felt right. I want to say like it's an oldie but a goodie, you know? It's like up there with the Voyager probe where it's yes, like, absolutely. it's like, listen, we probably know this, but like, let's let's play in the space of yeah. this because it's, uh, and also, <laughs> Probably some people that might not, you know, that's always the case, right? I was talking to my partner about this and he had absolutely no clue what any of this was. And I he was doesn't know so he's gonna become shocked. a crab. No, he doesn't know about the fact <laughs> he that he's know gonna his grow fate. little little legs and little claws one day, and that's just horrifying to me. So I have to tell everybody about it. And that's this. what it is, right? That's what we're here to clarify. Yeah, 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 yeah. My name's Tom, and today's question, I'm very excited, was one that friend of the show. Ellen Weatherford brought to my attention no and asked way. me. Oh my goodness, I love Ellen. <gasps> Who's that? She sounds cool. Huh? And that is, <laughs> why are there so many animal-inspired algorithms? Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am really excited about this question. It is one of the biggest rabbit holes I've gone down in a while to try to solve this mystery. Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be really good. And my name is Ellen. Sorry, it's Ella. Ella. I'm, I'm sorry. I hate to like mansplain your doctor. name. but it, it's That's doctor there you go. to doctor you. Dr. Ella Hubbard, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the British podcaster. Yes, of course. Carry on. <laughs> And today, we're going to be unlearning everything about lemmings. Ooh, oh, that's such, that's such a new topic, yeah, and I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. I love it so much. So to stop gaslighting our listeners, uh, we have had a wild, busy month with moving, job searches, work trip, sicknesses. It's been so much. At one point, Ella messaged us and was like, sorry guys, throwing up every half hour with uh, food poisoning. Yeah. Uh, and just like- <laughs> You said, we'll fix that in post. It's fine. Get on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, listeners, that was episode 48. So give that a listen. You'll see secretly there was- a... <laughs> um, And so just, just the way the scheduling chips fell, Ella was out today, last minute. And so the wonderful Ellen Weatherford from Just the Zoo of Us and Spellbound 
bummed and gagged is here to sub in super last minute. We appreciate it so much. Genuinely. Uh, we cannot thank you enough. I had a topic locked and loaded, ready to go. I was so I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> you need someone with like three pages of notes about something that yeah, yeah, I yeah, otherwise yeah. have no excuse to talk at length about. Absolutely. <laughs> this episode i wanted to talk about carcinization or the crabification of every living thing i was reading an article on carcinization on the conversationpage.com and their opening line was just it got me so <laughs> the writer of this article matthew wills said charles darwin believed evolution created endless forms most beautiful it's a nice sentiment but it doesn't explain why evolution keeps making crabs. <laughs> the most beautiful form. The most beautiful form. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Carcinization. It's been a term that's been used since the early 1900s. I think 1916 specifically. 1916. Oh, that's earlier than I thought. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I could also place it. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's become a meme in the, the, the science communication world that like I almost want to place it. Actually, or... like saying that, like, I feel like this didn't just become a meme in the science communication sphere, but like it became a pretty universally well-known meme, yeah, I think. I think it escaped containment. I, I think it was <laughs> one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got that mentioned in my script. Yes. That Amazing. the idea of everything becoming crabs didn't become part of like shared internet knowledge until about 2019, maybe 2020. Ooh. Where there was this boom in carcinization-related content. My favorite of which is one of the earliest viral carcinization-themed posts. This is according to Know Your Meme. I'll read it out to you because, again, it just makes me happy. So the original post, this was on Red, uh, Tumblr. This was on Tumblr. Wow. 2019 is pretty recent. And you're telling me people were still using Tumblr in 2019? <laughs> right? Like, I thought had I thought it had died a death, but still they're producing carcinization memes. Like, that's that's incredible. I feel like I, I've, like, false memoried myself to be, like, I remember hearing it in, like, high school or something. And, I mean, yeah. you know, there's always the possibility that, like, maybe there was, like, a Radio Lab episode that might have mentioned it or something like, like that but sciencey people might have known about this theory for like a little while but it mm. definitely hit like more of a cultural zeitgeist kind of vibe then uh and this is the post that i wanted to read out it was originally posted by quasi normalcy the thing with humanoid aliens sorry what a great what a great <laughs> sentence okay continue <laughs> on the topic of humanoid aliens on the topic of humanoid aliens <laughs> It's that organisms with human form have only evolved once in the half billion years of multicellular life on Earth. And then under some very specific circumstances. If you want something realistic, make your aliens look like crabs. Animals evolve into crab shapes so often that biologists had to invent a word for it. Somebody replied, crabs just aren't sexy enough though. Mm -hmm. Somebody else said, they are if you're not a fucking coward. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> wow. I was just curious. I pulled up the Google Trends for carcinization. Oh, yeah. There's, there's like a little, a 25 percentile bump in like 2006. Hmm. Then like basically nothing for 10 to 15 years. Then it explodes in like 
2020. Interesting. Which is amazing. Yeah. But also with that like jump from like being sort of an obscure like scientific like, oh, isn't this a fun thing to think about? When it jumps into like a mainstream like meme status thing, it loses so much like nuance and like a a lot gets lost in translation in that jump there. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets a little bit like you're like, yeah, you got the spirit. I'm just glad you're here. Like, I'm just, I'm just glad you guys care. Yeah, like if you're enjoying science content in some capacity, then I'll we're take so it. thrilled that you're here. Yeah. <laughs> so that 1916 paper that originally coined the phrase, and it had actually been spoken about quite a lot before this point as well. Um, okay. Just okay. because, like, it was a really, really early example of some of the key terms that we're going to be talking about today. So yeah, we'll we'll jump, jump into it a little bit. But I guess the stuff that I want to talk about today is also like, is this meme culturiness an accurate description of what carcinization is what does carcinization actually even mean are we all destined to become crabs one day (laughs) all questions that we will answer shortly so i guess step one is what is carcinization caroline what is carcinization ellen ellen we've tried this i've tried this trick all the time it doesn't work sadly (laughs) We've, we've done it before, the like the switcheroo. It's, sorry, you probably could have pulled it off actually as a as a as a guest. Caroline might have been kind enough to do it. Honestly, I it. when I was like going through the script, knowing that you were going to be joining us, I was like, this question's not for Alan. This is Tom. <laughs> oh fuck you. Okay. I mean, I think I think I have. A- I believe in you. Look at you. You're wearing a Let's Learn Everything hat. You can do anything. <laughs> yeah, Let's Learn Everything.com slash shop. Um, so. Um, <laughs> carcinization i think is is the idea that as much as we're it's not the idea as we're joking that we will all turn into crabs but it's the idea that the crab body shape is is real good especially for underwater stuff maybe question mark but it's you know convergent evolution it's just it's a thing that we've done i've done topics on that i've done topics on that (laughs) Uh, yeah even the snake body like a snake-like body has evolved multiple times absolutely yeah 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 but i don't know the extent to which carcinization is a joke versus like is legitimately like a phenomena I almost said, instead of phenomena, I almost said problem. Like, I don't know the extent <laughs> to the carcinization crisis that's happening the carcinization in the world. <laughs> they got scientists out there with spear guns, like, we got to put a stop to this. We found another <laughs> one. They, like, they, like, they go into, like, a forest that used to be full of butterflies and it's full of crabs. And they're like, God, a single tear. Yeah. Like, God damn. They're training the hunters no. with, like, a wanted poster of a crab. They're like, if you see one of these fuckers... <laughs> You shoot them on sight. It's like the spotted lanternfly. Yeah. <laughs> you see a spider start growing one extra set of legs, and you're like, no, you stop that. You're like, no, hey, no, hey, no, no, watch no. it. Watch it, buddy. That's one strike. You already got eight legs. I was going to basically just like echo what Tom said, right? Like the idea. I, I have, I'll, I'll, I'll save it for later, but um, I did a TikTok on this recently where I had an, oh. I came up with an, an analogy that I thought was <gasps> pretty good that Ooh. a lot of people. People said worked for them really well, so uh, I can oh, save it, but because I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, basically what Tom to said, like this. there's like a form that works really, really well. So like a bunch of different unrelated life forms keep arriving at the same shape, mm. even though they didn't necessarily all inherit it from the same ancestor. Like mm-hmm. they're like, well, this yeah. works, so let's all, let's all do it this like that. This is good. Flat, round, hamburger shape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I've never heard a crab be described as a hamburger. Well, before, it's the arthropod, but it. hamburger style, as opposed to the hot dog style. <laughs> like a lobster, you mean? Yeah, the lobster is the it's, hot dog the style. Hot dog style. <laughs> the hot dog of the sea. Pretty much spot on. It's just a form of convergent evolution in which mm-hmm. non-crab crustaceans evolve a crab-like body plan. According to Dr. Natalie Cooper, an evolutionary biologist at the Natural History Museum of London. In convergent evolution, two organisms look or behave in a similar way, even though they're only distantly related. This means they've independently evolved those similarities rather than inheriting them from a common ancestor. I just wanted to throw this in there. Can y'all tell me some fun examples of convergent evolution? Boy, can I, Caroline. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Ellen. This is again. This is great because if we didn't have you on, one of our phones would have rung, and then we would have been like, "Oh, it's like I, I heard you guys were talking about." Put me on. Put me on. Put me on. Put me on, put me on speakerphone. Uh, dolphins and sharks. Oh my god! Yes, an amazing one. Do you want to explain what? further? Oh yeah. fuck! Oh so, wow! Wait. Learning. This is exciting. No, 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 I'm sorry. Listen. I know. Like, listen. I know from again from the podcast. Sharks are really old yeah. and dolphins are mammals. I know those yeah. two things independently. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. When you smoosh them together, yeah, though. Or just when you have them look at each other and be like, did you? They're like the Spider-Man meme. like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. With dolphins yeah. and dolphins and sharks. You hold a, a dolphin and a shark up next to each other. They look super similar. Like they Absolutely. both look huh. be gray, yeah, yeah. The long, fin? streamlined. They have a dorsal With, like, fin on top. The whiter bottoms, grayer top. Oh my gosh. They have the pectoral fins. Uh, they have the tail. Well, the fluke on the dolphin is horizontal and the fluke on a shark is like, they don't call it a fluke, but it's vertical instead. But of course. But it's the same like general basic body plan, even though if if you go back, it's not that long. It's only like 50 million years. I don't know exactly how long it was, but uh-huh. not that long ago, dolphins were ungulates. They were like a little yes! guy yeah, on the yeah, land, yeah. like with legs, fully legs. They didn't quite have like hooves yet, but they had like toes and stuff yeah. like that. And a, yeah, like yeah, sharp yeah. teeth and stuff. Like they looked like a little guy on land. And <laughs> sharks were already sharks. <laughs> they were all, yeah. they'd been doing sharks a shark thing. Sharks have been sharks for a long time. I think yeah, we covered it on the before. before Trees episode yeah. where it's yes, like. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are older than trees. Yeah. <sighs> but, but dolphins went from being like this little brown deer looking thing to looking nearly identical to a shark, like at a glance, you'd look at them and be like, Oh, those look like the same thing. But just because those traits, like having the streamlined hairless body, right. It's perfect for hydrodynamic, like swimming. The dorsal fin is great for like balance and the, the fins are like much better than, than feet in the water. So like, even though they started from extremely different bodies, they end up, looking like you'd think a shark was just a pointy dolphin yeah <laughs> um there's examples from the samophile episode i feel i feel like it comes up a lot on the podcast i feel like every time we mention convergent evolution we get to like ring a little bell and it's uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's very it's exciting every time so because cool. it is just it's like so um good. It, it's emblematic that like this thing we're talking about <laughs> it's like not just I agree with this, but like nature agrees that like it's this validating. is a useful thing, you know? Just yeah, like, exactly. That's the shit. It's multiple sources. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, run that shit again. That, that it's, like, it's like when CNN and Fox agree on something, you're like, oh, that's legit. I am <laughs> British, and even I understood that reference. <laughs> Another one of my like uber favorite ones is like eye structure in like humans yeah. and between like octopuses and like squid and stuff like that and how we both have like those camera like 
eyes, basically. I'm so sorry. Like I just lens. realized, Caroline, I was about to say, like, we covered this, but then I realized it was the episode that you were out on and Sabrina was on. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh. We literally, I did a whole thing about how the squid eye is extremely similar to the human eye. There you go. Um, I also wrote down, uh, according to a 2017 paper, eyes in general have evolved independently up to 40 yeah. different times, which I did not know that fact. That's wild. But all serving such a similar function. Other fun ones, opposable thumbs. They're around a lot. Oh! Yeah! Or huh. similar structure. Raccoons got them. Yeah, and like you could argue that chameleons have a similar grippy hand. Theirs looks like this, though. Nobody can Whoa. see it, but I'm doing Spock fingers. Yeah! You're doing an amazing... No, that was, that was a very... It, it, it oh, gave, yeah, you, uh, can, you can articulate them and everything, and you could do... Whoa. I used to work with them um, at a pet store that had chameleons. <gasps> I spent a lot of time <gasps> with those dudes, so I got super, oh. like, familiar with how their little hands work. I could just imagine you, like, sat in front of a chameleon and enclosed just with like a little hand against the glass like friend yeah like like in arrival when when uh, she puts her hand against the glass yeah. and it's like a... well when when caroline was talking about like on the topic of humanoid aliens i was thinking i was like arrival could never see arrival they were so like they were ahead of it they were like no we're not doing humanoid aliens that's played out and it's lame and we could do we could have more fun with it but yeah so all of these are examples of convergent evolution and of course the recurrence of the crab-like body shape is a pretty well-known example of convergent evolution as well. Now, this isn't something that happened overnight. We didn't just wake up one morning and see crabs everywhere. As much as we're joking about it. <laughs> yeah, um, this process took a little bit of time. I have some pictures of some early examples <gasps> of crabs. So I've got some artists' recreations mm -hmm. of what oh these boy. early animals might look like. About of, of these pre-crabs is what you're saying. Yeah, like, of some pre-crabs, okay. of some early crabs. We'll get into it. So the first decapod, which is the group that crabs are in. Do crabs have 10 legs? Yeah, crabs have 10 oh. legs, my dude. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> I love this podcast. <laughs> Decapods, they started existing between 365 to 455 million years ago. Again, oh, wow. decapod meaning 10, so 10-legged crustaceans. And these guys were pretty, they were pretty shrimp-like. I've got an example of one here. Um, Paleopalemon. There we go. Nailed, Nailed it. it. And it would have looked a bit like this guy. Oh, I like him. He's great. Oh, yeah. And all these pictures will be in the show notes. He's pretty shrimpy. Gotta say, it's also very buggy. Mm. It's pretty it looks buggy. Like a, looks like, what's that Pokemon? Vicavolt, is it? With the two big things yes, in the it front? Yes, it yeah. Looks like that. Oh, yeah. All right, mark your timers, y'all. That was uh, <laughs> 15 minutes to the first Pokemon reference. <laughs> Better than I thought. <laughs> mark that space off your bingo card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's like one of the earliest examples of a 10-legged crustacean that we have. It's probably not the oldest that exists, but it's like the oldest example that we found in fossil records so far, which is really, really cool. So this group of animals, these decapods, then split into two, and we get crabs and false crabs, which is okay. where this oh this is where this crabification of animals starts occurring. Right, is the, and this is like when the church split, right? Into <laughs> you, have, exactly, you have these yeah. false crabs. <laughs> yeah, crabs. and just Ooh. like in the church, you call them Christians and true Christians, and you get to decide which one's which. <laughs> Where's the crab pope? I'm. That's what I want to see. <laughs> the crab pope mobile. 
So sorry, um, when does this split happen? The oldest true crab emerged probably about 185 million years ago. Okay. Uh, and he might have looked a bit like this. I like him. Not not he's, he's super crab-like. He's it does not sort of... super crab-like, is he? We'll talk about that in it's a second. Giving crab. It's, it's, it's giving crab. It's more crab vibes. It feels like crab legs on a lobster body. It um, does. Oh, I love that description. And also the legs are very long. The legs Actually, are kind of looks long. to me like a tick. Ooh, oh, it, it does. does. It does. It's like a tick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe touch on that mm. idea a little bit later on as well. Oh. So, that's the oldest true crab that we've got an example of. That one was Europrosopon. We also get the oldest false crab, which actually occurred first. This is around 200 million years ago. And he might have looked a bit like this. This feels Very... more crab to me. Right? I don't know. Yeah. I see it. It's, it's kind of lobstery. It's still quite lobstery. Uh, again, I also understand these are all sort of like artist renditions and stuff, but yeah. like. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. Are you saying. Did I hear you right? Are you saying that false crabs came first? So. Using the term false crab <laughs> to describe these ancient, like, crab like animals is not fair to the crabby groups this is more just like a ancestor to what we have now which is a whole uh -huh. group of animals that are not crabs that look like crabs basically but and then i don't know if you're gonna get into this we, we're getting into the realm of like it's all human labels babe. like like <laughs> it's so aggressively human labels we'll, and actually we'll really highlight that in a second okay 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 because yeah. i'm just starting to, I'm, I'm starting to realize like how stupid this is to be like I'm sure like whichever species we first called a crab somehow gets this God-given right that like those are the true crabs. <laughs> the true yeah. crabs are the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I don't want to... <laughs> true crabs are from a specific group. The scientific name is Brachyra. Anything with that scientific name, Brachyra, is a crab. That is a crab. Okay. Anything else is a false crab, basically. And therefore, any of those crab-like shapes that evolved from this group probably evolved pretty independently from its relatives, which is mm -hmm. where we get that uh, carcinization coming from, basically, which is really, really cool. So yeah, so those are the oldest sort of crabs and not crabs in those families. <laughs> we mentioned earlier, would you say that they looked particularly crab-like? I thought they would look more crab-like, I guess. I don't know. They, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. are a little... They're definitely more lobstery in my mind, or totally, more, more yeah. spider yeah. bug like, I guess. I'm still looking for the big claws, like when I think that's the crab, other thing. Oh, I yeah. think pinchy claws, and like uh -huh, I'm not really uh -huh. seeing that yet, so I'm still not fully committed. And, and also to to Ellen's point, they're not hamburgers, really. Not still. Yeah, they're, they're still kind of hot doggy. Still yeah. eating hot dog. <laughs> So yeah, it's really important to highlight that these are the animals that are going to evolve into what we know now as crabs and what we know mm -hmm. now as false crabs. So they've still got a little bit of evolving left to go before they hit peak crab-like <laughs> body. You may not like it, but this is what the crab performance this is what's like. <laughs> now, that true crab group would go on to become almost 7,000 species of true crab that we have Ooh. now. It's a lot of crabs. Uh, that's according oh to the Marine God. Education Society of Australasia. But not only that, the crab-like body plan has evolved at least five separate times, 
from those false crab groups. Wow. So it's evolved a lot of times. It's nuts. And that is carcinization. That's that convergent evolution where those non-crabby crustaceans evolve to be very crab-like. Now, crab-like. What, what does what is that, that mean? <laughs> yeah, what, what? I mean, I just learned they have 10 legs, so I, I'm... Tom, what is a crab to you? They got the pincers, hamburger, the, the hamburger, leggies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, taste good. Um, on the nom, absolutely. Basically, that part of the exoskeleton, which is called a carapace. So mm -hmm. they're like, got that one carapace, which is quite wide and quite yeah. short. So it's got like that real typical shape. Whereas in like shrimps and stuff, their carapace might look more like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also another really big difference here too, which oh, is... Oh, is it tail? It is the tail. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's a great point. What the fuck? Why don't they have tails? <laughs> Why don't they have tails? Why? Where did their tails go? What the fuck happened? We will talk about it in a little second. Yay. Wow. I literally never thought about that. <laughs> right? It's, it's such a good huh. point of like, they just don't have like a structured tail as a shrimp or a prawn or something else does. But yeah, their legs are often also longer than a shrimp. Right. That's another good point. So that leads us on to a little game that I want to play with you both, which is why my oh screen boy. was blue earlier. I want to play a game with you called, is it a true crab? <gasps> oh boy. Oh my God. This is so good. <laughs> Caroline has made a presentation. We're going to go through some crabs or some animals that we refer to as crabs. And you're going to tell me, is it a true crab? Amazing. Or did it evolve on a separate lineage? So the first one that I've got for you, the king crab. Oh, it's pointy. It is quite pointy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the crabs that I think get eaten quite a lot in the States. I, I, I would assume a king crab is a crab based on food taxonomy, but... Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ellen, what's your, what's your vote? I think it's not a true crab. <gasps> it's a liar. It's a false <laughs> crab. <laughs> wow. Oh, you know, I'm counting the legs now. It doesn't have 10 legs, so it's not a true crab. It just has, yes. it's just crab-like, the crab the crab body plan. Uh, although I, I, I know this is a stupid reason, Caroline. And like I joked earlier, it's like when I, you were like, what does makes a crab? I was like, it's tasty. The fact that we eat it and call it crab is wild. Like that's yeah, such a totally strange right. threshold of conversion evolution is like, can you eat it? <laughs> like a, as if it is also a crab. Are you ready for the next one? The masked crab. This one's a fun crab. Oh, wow. This is really weird. The Maybe it's just the way it's splayed out, but its front arms are very long and it has like very, a proboscis kind of thing. I've never seen this gentleman in my life. Playing the game. Uh-huh. I'm assuming this is a crab. I count 10 legs, but it's Ellen, a weird looking think? one. It's I also think, I think this one's not a true crab. Pure guess. Ooh. Okay, it's it's a true crab. Yay. This one's a real boy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you're one for one. He looks less crabby than the fake crab to me. The coconut crab. Oh, I hate this one. I oh. think this one would make you feel icky. Oh, and it's that's huge. Why you're it. Oh, I hate it. Oh my god, this has crossed that fine, delicate line we all keep in our wonderful, beautiful <laughs> human souls, where bugs and crabs are different this is this has violated the treaties of that agreement and i i will not stand for this oh god what's wrong with your dog <laughs> it looks it's and caroline 
maybe purposely has pick, picked a picture where it is climbing a trash can that it is almost oh, the yeah. size it's of. It's for scale. Oh, it's yeah. for scale. Oh, God. What do we think? Crab or false crab? I think false crab. And why? You don't have any reason crab? for that. I'm gonna go false crab also just because again I can't see the legs. It's the tail. I think the tail's doing something Ooh, for me. Tail is a good a tail. It's very taily, isn't it? It's telling me not not a crab. And you know what? You're both spot on there. Okay. Look, this yeah. is a false crab. Well done. <laughs> so here's the fun fact is that they're not related to crabs or anything on Earth. They are aliens, in fact. <laughs> they are, in <laughs> they fact, were... the aliens that we've been talking about the entire this time. This is actually yes. a yes. screenshot <laughs> from District 9. Uh, that <laughs> now, and Carolina, I, I, maybe I should have clarified this earlier. Like, the test we're giving right now... Is this like a lineage test or is this a carcinization test? Does that make sense? Like This is very much like demonstrating that whilst it could be a false crab, it still looks incredibly crab-like and really Got fits it. that mold to the point where it's almost confusing if it's a true crab or a false crab. So I feel like coconut crab is right. a bit more obvious that it's not sure, sure, sure. within yeah, the Yeah, not crab this family. motherfucker. We clocked him instantly on site. <laughs> but you can see on th something like a coconut crab, it's starting to get that like hamburger-esque shape. Also, the fact that the common names for all of these so far have been crab. Have been crab. Right? Yeah, absolutely right. I like how much of our language is like pre-taxonomy because so, it was all just based on yeah. like, I don't know, that seems like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's rush through these last two. So we've got the spider crab, which has like Huge aggressively long legs. long legs. Wow. Like a meter long. Also, a great catch in Animal Crossing. Yeah. <gasps> great to yes. display. Yes. So yeah, what do we think? Crab or not a crab? I'm going to say true crab. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say faker. <gasps> You're saying false crab? It's actually a true crab. Oh. Undefeated. Except for that time I did get defeated. <laughs> Except for that one time. Before <laughs> Near moments ago. <laughs> and the final one, the hermit crab. Is it oh, a true crab? Oh, interesting. I'm going to say no. I feel like this is like a common um actually. Yeah, no. There's no way. So yeah, this one's a false crab. Oh, thank But goodness. I just wanted to highlight that this one, we refer to it as a crab, even though like it doesn't resemble that crab-like body at all. This one's not even That's close. That's a good point. It just really highlights the issue with some of the language that we use when we're talking specifically about like the biological scientific world. So for all of the examples of convergent evolution that we've talked about today, they have like really obvious benefits for things like developing eyes and eye structure. Totally. There's really clear benefits there, opposable thumbs. So it makes sense that you would see like examples of this sort of stuff evolving multiple different times, even like birds with wings and bats with wings. It makes sense why we see mm -hmm. those things mm -hmm. occurring multiple times. But why on earth <laughs> is a crab shape so beneficial? Why do crustaceans specifically huh. keep going back to this shape? What do you think? I don't know. It's um, a really tough question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're never going to get like one answer, right? You're going to sure, like, yeah. have like a bunch of like suggestions. Totally. Like, these are ways it yeah. could be it, right? Like, but especially when you think about crabs that, so if a crab lives in like a rocky so like area, like a rocky reef or something like that, having <gasps> a flattened shape helps you get into oh, tight spaces. Shit. So you can like hide from predators absolutely it also helps you not get like blown around by currents right if you're flat you're gonna like a Whoa. lot of that water is gonna go over you so you're not gonna like uh -huh. tumble around uh -huh. 
Um, also, a lot of sh- crabs live in shallow, like freshwater, and that water could be moving yeah. real fast. So it helps them stay low and like low Whoa. to the bottom underneath predators. Like it's it it helps them not get kind of bullied. Ellen's <laughs> thinking like a crab. My God, <laughs> this is incredible. I, some of these I didn't even have written down, but like yeah, you're totally right. Spend a lot of time thinking about crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Generally, this shape allows a crustacean to have greater mobility. Uh, It allows Mm. crabs to do things like running Mm. or swimming. The form can allow some crabs to climb, which I think is wild. We saw the coconut crab climbing on the side of a bin. I've got this example as well, which is a mangrove crab, which is just chilling out in a tree. Oh, wow. I was just having a really nice little time. Oh, to be a crab in a tree. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> so yeah, so having that extra mobility is really, really beneficial for crabs or crab-like species. But if you're a mangrove tree crab, then an amazing form to allow you to fill in a very different niche. Mm. So things like the mangrove crab, for example, are omnivorous which isn't unusual for crabs but it does allow them to eat the leaves on mangrove trees which i just did not expect to ever see a crab eating a leaf whilst in the tree you know huh yeah what a life and this is why we have so many different species of crab but also crab-like animals is because Mm. it does allow them to have that mobility that ability to go into different spaces that it possibly wouldn't have been able to before like in trees or like in people's bins to hunt for coconuts so you're saying that like one of the reasons why we see it so much isn't just because it's really good at like the aquatic crab niche it's good for several different niches this exactly yeah 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 it's Uh, really beneficial for a range of different reasons unlike the like dolphin shark which are both in the same like relatively same niche of underwater and like being medium-sized like versus the crab is a general purpose it's a pretty adaptable shape that's super interesting fucking atv body plan the other main one that i want to talk about is like evading predators just because if Mm. you've got less tail the tastiest part of the lobster then there's less for an animal to grab onto to hunt it tom's just had like a eureka (laughs) like of course wow Huh. Yeah, guard your tasty bits. Guard your tasty bits. <laughs> but yeah, like another key thing is that we don't really entirely know the answer either. Of course. And research yeah. is still ongoing into the field of carcinization to understand why everything does become so crab-like. And of course, there's the issue of decarcinization as well, where crab-like <laughs> crustaceans go in the opposite direction what? and stop being crab-like. This is also a term that has been coined. I don't know if I've ever thought about it. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And this is where there are species of crab who have gone more in a tick direction, like we mentioned earlier, <gasps> rather than staying in that crab-like form, which I think is just wild. It makes sense that like, if too many species evolve to the same <gasps> oh, form, yeah. you're going to have too much like duplication in the same like niche, and there's going to be too much competition. Exactly. If you branch yeah, out yeah, and do yeah. something different, you can like... You're filling a different niche then. You're never going to have have everybody in the same form because that's always going to like overcrowd things and so someone's going to have to move someone's going to have to like we're we're change we're like 10 minutes away if we keep on that path where this is going to become like a consulting phrase is like decarcinization (laughs) like they're going to be like we gotta like decarcinate our ideas and i think the malware's a little too crowded right now let's circle back um (laughs) so knowing everything that we've talked about today 
Do we think that all life on Earth is destined to become crab-shaped? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say <laughs> no. No. Almost certainly not. As evidenced by the world. <laughs> yeah. QED. And like, sure, crabs can swim, they can run, they can burrow, they can climb trees. Oh, yeah. They're probably not the best shape for things like pollinating or farming or huh. predating on sharks you know you get the picture totally, it's not totally. likely that every single living thing is going to become a crab one day whilst there's definitely something happening in the world that is pushing crustaceans towards crabbiness in general <laughs> it's important to remember that the crab shape is not really a final form even though the internet may want <laughs> totally. to put it that way sometimes uh, that's a quote from Joanna M. Wolfe, who's a postdoctoral oh. researcher at the Department of Organismic and Evolutionary Biology at Harvard University. She is like a key researcher in the field of carcinization. She's wow. the person who's going to be carrying on in the ongoing field of carcinization research. So like she knows her shit. That's amazing. <laughs> and she's saying not everything is going to become crab-like. <laughs> she's like, I am the crab woman and you guys need to come down. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I mentioned earlier that there was like an analogy that I used to describe like Ooh, this, yes, like yes. The, the shape that looks, <gasps> yes! works well for a crab, but doesn't mean everything's going to be a crab. It was a video game controller. So if you look back Ooh. into like the 80s, video game controllers were really diverse right you'd have oh, a joystick yeah. you'd have the nintendo controller that's like this the way Nintendo's a rectangle yeah and then you had like the later nintendo controller that had the weird bit in the middle with the weird controller like controllers yeah. were just really weird and very diverse Whoa. like an xbox controller looked really different from a playstation controller which yes. looked really different from, you got yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the wii mote and like all the different controllers <laughs> looked really really different but then look at video game controllers that are sold now they all yeah. look nearly indistinguishable from each other. It's a huge pain in the ass for me specifically because I have like five different types of controllers and I can never tell which one I'm picking up because each one looks exactly the same. But that doesn't yeah. mean that that video game controller shape, if you look at phones or computer mice, <laughs> that yeah. shape wouldn't yeah. make any sense yeah. for those devices. So it's not like that shape is the best shape for all technology. Wow. That's just like a yeah. shape that works really well for what you're trying to do with for a video thing. game controller yeah. and what <gasps> you need it for. But it doesn't like you're not going to have phones that are going to look like video game controllers someday. I'm going to I'm going to highlight this one as like a final point is that it's also really important to remember that evolution is not straightforward mm. it's not mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a like laid out set of instructions on how to become certain animals it's still happening it will keep happening for as long as there is life on earth uh, and i really liked what Popsi said about this uh, they said in the next million years the crab shape may no longer be the in evolutionary vogue and crustaceans oh. may decarcinize and move away from that shape hmm. so for now the ultimate evolutionary body is still a mystery should sci-fi make alien life forms be crab-shaped because that's what everything on the planet will turn into eventually? Probably not. Will those aliens be the humanoid shape we've seen depicted in Hollywood, though? That'll just have to be a question for another episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of like designing aliens for a, a planet that is completely yeah, different from ours, a different right? <gasps> yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say 
Ellen said something that kind of reminded me. It's like, oh, what a great joy when human-centric taxonomy has to collide with evolution. And it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, God, we named this so wrong. We we named this so poorly. Like, we should have stopped calling everything a crab because it looked kind of like a crab. <laughs> yeah. And it just makes it so confusing. It's like, it's just really, it's a real beautiful mess. And it shows both our understandings and misunderstandings about the natural world. Like, right. our, our, our desperate human attempts to try to understand understand everything just like love that this topic really highlights the nuance of scientific terminology sometimes because yeah. like that initial meme then spiraled into all sorts of memes. and I, I will say in the realm of like scientific things that are like technically wrong i think this is probably the least harmful it's I think really this is, like <laughs> the most and i love yeah. that this is like people learning some sort of terminology and then just like running with it. It makes me so happy. And then you'll see memes like this and I'm just like, I like this, but also I will correct you on it. And that's what I'm doing today. Thank you, Carolyn. We learned everything. We did learn we did everything, it. I think. Well, everything will become a crab. So if we just give it time, we'll- All you gotta learn about is crabs. And then there you go, you've learned everything. And then, there you go. And then you've learned everything. That was the, that was the takeaway, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It, it's a plane! No, it's the queer stories that have been left out of the history of aerospace. Wow, so like, so, so, I'm sorry, the, the stories are flying or the history? From a queer history of aerospace, the new audio miniseries from the Museum of Flight. These stories include the absolutely wild life of Margaret Chung, who was a trailblazing medic during World War II. To help with that episode, they interviewed Dr. Judy Tsuchung Wu, who spent 10 years researching her story. <gasps> and sometimes you'll actually get to hear from these historic people themselves, including an hour and a half long conversation with trans pilot and activist Michelle Evans. The project was started by the Museum of Flight, the largest private nonprofit air and space museum in the world. But it's not just us who loves this museum. Uh, when we told Ellen about this during the episode recording, <gasps> this yes. is what she said. <laughs> Have you by any chance been to the Museum of Flight? You're fucking kidding me. I've been there literally like four <laughs> times and my toddler is obsessed with it. And that's where he asked me to go every day. Literally that's every so day. That's so sweet. So it's so cool to hear that they're trying to tell these stories that have been left off of museum walls for so long. If you want to give this a listen, head over to museumofflight.org forward slash podcast or search The Flight Deck on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes every Tuesday. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it and you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or you can't decide what is the best nut or can't agree on what is the best cheese? Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. This question has a bit of backstory to it. Ooh. Ellen, feel free to jump in to explain your side of things at any time. So Ellen did an episode of Just the Zoo of Us recently about the animal named the Kawadi. Mm -hmm. It's a great episode. Mm, thank um, you. Ellen, if you just want to give us like a brief overview of what the Kawadi is. Yeah, it is a little guy. They are uh, <laughs> precise. Same. <laughs> they're, they're related to raccoons. Um, so imagine if you took Same. like a raccoon and you just like stretched it out 
Like they've got like a long pointy nose. They're more like slender, more made for like moving around in the trees. Um, they have a long skinny tail that has like black and red bands. They're mostly like red colored um, and they're really, really cute. My favorite fact, I hope you don't mind me cribbing this from the episode, is that there was a folk name or a modern folk name for the Quadi. It was the Brazilian Aardvark. Yes. Okay. And do you so- want to... <laughs> They have like a flexible bendy nose that they like sniff around in. It's an aardvark has like a much more exaggerated, like um, flexible, uh, more like it's not quite prehensile, but you know what I mean? Uh, Kind of an elephant like nose. And so Mm -hmm. somebody put on like the Wikipedia page (laughs) for Kawadis that they were called the Brazilian aardvark. They do live in Brazil, but they just put that on the Wikipedia page just like for shits and giggles, I guess. <laughs> put it on there. That's great. And it stayed up for years. And then, like, no. different, like, articles and stuff about Kawadi started repeating that because it was on the Wikipedia page. <gasps> Even though this no is just, like, way. random person had just put it on Wikipedia for, like, no reason. Uh, and then it wasn't until, like, years later that somebody was like, hey, stop hey, that. Hey, now. Hey, um. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> But then, Ellen, I assume what happened is while you were researching about the Quadi, you came across a paper. I did come across a paper that I did not understand. (laughs) So you came across a paper titled Quadi Optimization Algorithm, a new bio-inspired meta-heuristic algorithm for solving optimization problems. What the heck so, does any of that mean? Oh my god. My husband and co-host um, for that episode has a degree in computer science and uh, works in IT security and understands this stuff. And normally when I come across a paper like this with computer science terminology, I just ask him because he's five feet away and he knows <laughs> computer stuff. But I was like, I can't ask him because this is for the episode we're doing together. I'm going to spoil it. I was oh, like, no. well, who else do I know that knows computer stuff? <laughs> it would probably help me figure this out. <laughs> if, if only he had checked his phone in time, sadly, is the other part of the story. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> but Ellen, what, what went through your mind when you came across this paper or like read that title? Panic. Or tried to read Sheer paper? distress. <laughs> I was like, okay, so it seemed to me like somebody that did computer things wrote a computer program that mm-hmm. emulated the behaviors of a Kawadi in order to sort through information of some kind. Like I, I hear algorithm, I think like sorting, predicting things like that. And they used behaviors from the Kawadi in the wild as an idea for like how to sort through batches of information. That's as far as I got. (laughs) I feel like that's that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, I think that's the gist, but, um, what happened in this backstory is then Ellen messaged me about it. I unfortunately did not see it in time for the episode. Um, I think you explained it like that in the episode. It was fine. Uh, Nothing, nothing incorrect was said, (laughs) but then later I started looking at it just out of curiosity. It's a dense, dense paper about kind of like you said exactly like you said Ellen how so out of my wheelhouse so far above my pay grade (laughs) about how an algorithm could mimic the group behaviors of Kawadi for use in computer science but something else stuck out in that paper and this is the rabbit hole (laughs) because in their introduction they explained that lots of algorithms are designed on similar principles of group animal behavior And then I came across this paragraph. It reads, quote, 
Other swarm-based meta-heuristic algorithms include White Shark Optimizer, Snake Optimizer, Horse Herd Optimization Algorithm, <laughs> Monarch Butterfly Optimization, Harris Hawks Optimizer, Moth Search Algorithm, <laughs> Rungi Kata Optimizer, Emperor what? Penguin Optimizer, Orca Predation no. Algorithm, Artificial Hummingbird Algorithm, <laughs> Chameleon Swarm <gasps> Algorithm, and Reptile Search Algorithm. What the fuck does any of that mean? Oh my goodness. And at this point, I was so confused. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but here's the thing, Caroline. I had just scratched the surface. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, of the no. dark underbelly. <laughs> Do either of you want to guess how many other animal algorithms I found? Just that you found? Through, through reviews and stuff like that. How many? Mm. I have oh, a list. I do gosh. have a list that I will share with you guys. Oh, gosh. Okay. 211. Ellen? I was going to say at least 100, but now I feel kind of silly. <laughs> I found a review from 2023. 2023. And it includes such great hits as Mouth Breeding Fish Algorithm, Seven Spot Ladybird Optimization, Marriage in Honeybees Optimization. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Goose Team Optimizer. Goose Team? Goose, Goose Team, team Goose Optimizer. Team. <laughs> if anyone needs like a really secure password, these are all amazing. Um, social Spider Optimization, Sperm Whale Algorithm, Sperm Swarm Algorithm. One of these has to be somebody's sleeper agent activation phrases. Oh yeah, I, we, <laughs> across the nation. Yeah, that's what the list is for. Like this is all like a like a like a, a front for these passwords. They're like, no, 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 you're not supposed to find that. Why would you guys care about swarm algorithms? We thought we hid it in plain sight. No one's supposed to read these. No, we forgot um, about the nerds. Damn it. <laughs> Can you guess, I think you guys might be able to intuit this, which animal has the most algorithms named after it? Is it something like bees? I'm going to say it's ants. It's Bucking probably ants. Bees. Is it bees? It's bees. Ants are very important, and we'll get into that in a second. This paper at least collects at least 22 different bee algorithms. Oh my goodness. It's always the bees. It's always, well, but in this case, it does make sense. They are very famously social and, and very complicatedly social in how they behave as a swarm. But it also includes a bunch of other podcast favorite animals, including <gasps> frog call inspired algorithm, yeah! mosquito flying optimization, Naked mole rat algorithm. Yeah. Blind naked mole rat algorithm. Interesting. Fox optimizer. <gasps> slime mold algorithm. Ooh. Pigeon inspired optimization. And even, this is like a real niche one from the Magneto reception episode, magnetotactic bacteria optimization algorithm. Wow. I can remember that from, from, from way, way back. We talked about like how there's little bacteria that are magnetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in all, this review lists 540 algorithms. Nice. Why? They're based Why? mostly on animals, but some on other things like volleyball Premier League algorithms. <laughs> but most of them are, are animal-based. And it was at this point... I said exactly what Caroline said, which is why and what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like I just opened the wrong door in an office building and it was filled with 540 animals. And I was like, what did Ellen stumble upon? Like, what what did I what did I just do? What what do you mean? Like, I was just like, do, 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 do. Oh, God. What? Why? Um, and it took a lot of digging, but I finally found some answers for you, Ellen, <gasps> and for our listeners. And also, most importantly, for my own sanity. <laughs> Waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. Like, like why? Bees. I'm, I'm going to say it in a second. Ellen, I, I literally called up like a friend of mine who, who also does like science and research. And we literally just like went through the list one night. We were literally just like trying, trying <laughs> desperately to make sense. I swear to God, we'll get into that. But before we dive into the mystery of this all, uh, we do have to understand 
the basics of what the fuck these algorithms are actually are. So, Ellen, Caroline, what is a metaheuristic swarm optimization algorithm? I'd like to go back to the carcinization one, please. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen, I I think you are accurately taking the place of Ella's fear of math and computers, so this is good. It's very good. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, the word metaheuristic is nonsense to me. That's a string of syllables. Can I be it's, honest? This means nothing I also, to me. also, knowing kind of what it is, I still kind of agree it's a little flimsy of a term, but hopefully by the end, you'll have at least like a sense of what it is. So- Oh, lucky me. I think <laughs> the part that we can intuit the easiest from that like 39 letter phrase <laughs> is swarm, right? Yes. Right. And one of the earliest and most foundational swarming algorithms is probably something that you actually have seen before in action because It was actually written by a computer graphics and animation specialist, Craig Reynolds, who at the time had just finished wrapping up his work on a little movie called Tron. Oh, okay. So about five years after working on Tron, in 1987, Craig Reynolds published a paper for a new animation idea, and the paper was titled Flocks, Herds, and Schools, a Distributed Behavioral Model. And in it, he described something a lot of computer science students are familiar with, the Boyd. The what? The, the little thing Boyd? that you put in the ocean to like mark things, a boy? Boyd, B-O-I-D. The little pizza demon that would like That's mess the up Noid. your <laughs> pizza. <laughs> I love the Boyd. It's a, you'll see, and you'll it'll make perfect sense why I love it. It's like a little computer friend. So here comes the Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> How did I not do that? Oh no, I missed my chance to make a niche computer science TikTok. (laughs) So, as the paper opens, quote, The motion of a flock of birds is one of nature's delights. So true. Flocks and related synchronized group behaviors, such as schools of fish or herds of land animals, are both beautiful to watch and intriguing to contemplate. A flock exhibits many contrasts. It is made up of discrete birds, yet overall motion seems fluid. It is simple in concept, yet it is so visually complex. It seems randomly arrayed and yet is magnificently synchronized. Perhaps most puzzling is the strong impression of intentional centralized control, yet all evidence indicates Caroline throughout this is doing lots of like, oh, faces. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with it. (laughs) Yet all evidence indicates that flock motion must be merely the aggregate result of the actions of individual animals each acting solely on the basis of its own local perception of the world. Mm. So basically, also quick aside, I think at times this paper is like one of the most beautifully written papers, but I'm also like literally a computer science and cognitive science major nerd. So like, duh, I think that. But the question he's posing is like, you know, these big swarm actions, they seem like someone is orchestrating them like overhead, Mm. like conducting them, right? Like, uh, you know, you imagine like an air traffic controller, right? Telling them to coordinate. But each bird just is its own entity. Have you ever heard of the lateral line system? No. Very loosely. So in fish, which I've spoken to you all at length about in the past. (laughs) And we're always excited to hear more of. Something Mm -hmm. about fish Mm -hmm. is that a lot of types of fish, not all of them, but a lot of them have a line of cells, like specialized cells along the side of their body. Oh, yes. And a lot of fish, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see this line going down mm-hmm. the dead center. It's on each side of their body. It's not like down mm-hmm. their fin or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. it's a, a single straight line going across either side of their body. And these little cells are specialized in picking up the movement of the water 
around them. Mm. So they're extremely sensitive and they let the fish feel instantly if the water around them is changing direction or changing speed it lets them just kind of like be hyper aware of to their left and right what's going on in the water around them yeah so yeah. when you see a think about one of those big schools of fish like a bait ball yeah right? where all of yeah. the fish are moving like one giant school as if they were like one yep. big organism yeah they're able to do that because they have this lateral line system that gives them instant like feedback of yeah, the movement of yeah. the water around them. So they don't even have to see what the other fish around them are doing. They can just feel in the water what the fish around them, like which way they're turning, which way. Yeah. Because when the fish turns, it's making these tiny, tiny little changes in the flow of the water. But each fish can feel that. So if one fish turns, the fish in front of it can feel it and they can like do it too. So that's how like yeah. the entire school can move in the exact same direction at the same time, even if they're not looking at each other. That's so wild. Isn't that oh so my cool? God. I didn't need to write any of these metaphors or anything that I have coming <laughs> up. Uh, no, but like you, you hit it spot on, Ellen. Like the idea in this paper is like, he develops a way to not just like animate a cloud of birds, but instead a way to give each little digital bird a set of simple behaviors basically their lateral lines mm. they were simple bird-like objects or as he would call them birdoid objects birdoid which he would simplify to just boids okay it's coming together which is how they got their name and so literally all the birds know how to do is like a move in the same direction as nearby birds b gather up with other birds and c don't run into other birds but when you get a whole bunch of them together doing that, these like beautiful patterns emerge. I can send you all a video. It's very mesmerizing. <gasps> yeah. It's it's reminiscent of the phenomena of like murmurations of like huge mm. flocks of birds. And also I like like uh, Ellen said, like like schools of fish. But most of the time, at least in the rough stages, they are just represented as triangles, <laughs> which I adore. Mm. <sighs> Oh, that's cool. Wow. This reminds me of the game Abzu. A part of me feels like this is like a sensory, like ADHD video of like sit yeah, and stare at the screen relaxing. for many hours. Yeah. You could put this underneath like a video clip of a podcast so that I'll like pay attention <laughs> to what they're saying. But, you know, it's interesting because not a lot of computer animations I would classify as like relaxing, especially for the 80s, right? Like That's such a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. None of the visuals in Tron are fun. They're like hard lines <laughs> and like sharp sounds. And this is a very simple algorithm that, that, that imitates this complex behavior, which is sort of the foundation of this concept of swarm algorithms. And Craig Reynolds was able to use this technology to simulate bats and penguins in the 1992 movie Batman Returns. I wasn't expecting that to be the movie. <laughs> but the thing is, you have probably also seen this concept in any film or video game that has a bunch of particles like this or a bunch of, you know, moving objects like this. This simulation concept would just a huge influence in both digital animation and also video game development. There are literally like tons and tons and tons of Boyd tutorials from Java to Blender to Unreal Engine. Uh, the Boyd species is still very much alive and well today. Oh. But what if you could level up this Boyd idea and maybe take inspiration from an even more socially complex animal like Ellen suggested earlier, ants. So in 1992, Marco Dorigo published his Ant Colony Optimization or ACO algorithm. And 
unlike the simple Boids, ant colonies are known for being able to scatter and working as a swarm, find an optimal route to a food source. But like the Boids, it's this group behavior that lets them do this, right? So biologist Deborah Gordon put it perfectly. I love this quote. She said, ants aren't smart. Ants colonies are. Mm. Ah, okay, yeah. And some people call this phenomena emergence, where, where something more complex emerges from a bunch of smaller things. And that's like the foundational concept of these swarm algorithms. Ants together strong. Yeah, union strong. <laughs> so Dorigo wondered, what if instead of a swarm of ants optimizing for food, you could simulate digital ants optimizing for anything? If it's all numbers, what if they could represent something else? Mm. I see Caroline nodding, which is a good sign. I'm like nodding. A part of me is like, what else could an ant-like algorithm represent, you know? Maybe the optimal delivery truck route. Mm. <gasps> or oh. the best location to install cell service towers. Oh. Southwest Airlines famously in the early 2000s once tried to use an ant-based swarm algorithm to coordinate gate assignments for planes. Oh, wow. Oh, how did that go? Oh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that like you heard a lot about the news of it from 2007 and it's like, I haven't heard a lot from it since. And we're going to get into that in a second. So, but, you know, the other key thing is that because these are computer ants, you can do computer and math things like make them multidimensional. Mm. They don't have to be looking for food in a 2D environment. Like what if they're searching a space of bank transactions to try to detect fraud, mm. right? They can be searching a five-dimensional space trying to minimize cost. It, it can be really abstract and really complicated but you kind of get what I'm saying. Where like the food is just whatever objective you want it to be. It's like the correct response yes, to the thing yes. or the value you're looking yes, for. Like yes, yes, the, yes, 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 yes. The food yes, yes. is just whatever you want them to find. <laughs> it's all optimizing a space. Does that kind of make sense, Caroline? All I'm imagining is just like a little anti-man crawling through like this weird space full of folders to like pick out fraud. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. But okay, like imagine cool. yeah. <laughs> instead of just moving like left and right, it can also move up and down and can like move through dimensions to like look for the space. Like it, it's, it's. I, this is something I wanted to do. Uh, Karen, I'd love for you to read this excerpt from the Kawadi paper that shows how deep and abstract this can get. For me to read? Yeah, go for it. Oh, Okay, <laughs> here, X to the P2, and there's also a little I underneath the P, is the new mm -hmm. position calculated in the, oh, that I has come up again, but with a TH, so I'm going to go ith. I'd say ith. Oh, ith. It's like nth. Oh, okay. okay, that makes sense. So here, X with like a bunch of other things next to it, is the new <laughs> position calculated in the ith code. Thai? Kawadi. That's how Kawadi is spelled. Oh, Sorry. That's how Kawadi is spelled. Yeah. Perfect. I see how you're like, is this a math symbol or an animal name? <laughs> 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 is this cotangent? Co is that? Like, no, no, that's the... <laughs> the. Based on the second phase of C O A X P2, underneath that, I is its jth dimension. <laughs> the jth <Yep>. dimension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love It's fucking. Kawadi's moving in the jth dimension. I fucking, I love that. That's like, it's just so funny. And of course, also like, to be clear, at this point, 
they're they're not really ants or coatis. Uh, the original model was based on pheromone trails, which was super interesting. Ah. And sometimes they still are, but like at this point, they're like so abstracted. They're not really ants or coatis, especially like when the end goal is to make a more efficient steel beam. Right. That's like, not a joke. That's like a common benchmark to test these algorithms is like, how can oh. you design a, a, an efficient? Because like, what if one dimension is cost? One dimension is like durability. And, and so in fact, the most widely known swarm algorithm is just called particle swarm optimization boring That's less exciting. you can do better yeah right i i, I love my multi-dimensional ants uh <laughs> yes. looking for these folders and stuff but anyway you know with this army of multi-dimensional ants these jth dimension coatis trying to optimize these simulated objectives on their own and as a group you have a swarm optimization algorithm and what's interesting is that just like the Boyds, you're not controlling every ant yourself manually. You're not micromanaging. You're not giving them a strategy or a heuristic towards the goal. Your strategy is that the ants will find a strategy. Mm. And so rather than being a heuristic algorithm, mm. this is a... Meta-heuristic. Oh, okay. okay. It's like a broader application of it. Yeah, it's like an application for finding an optimal application. I will say the term is flimsy. I, I think mm -hmm. I even, mm -hmm. even being a computer science guy myself, I think it's like a, it's not like a hard definition. But I mean, there you have it. You have a... Meta heuristic swarm optimization algorithm. Not so scary of a word now, hopefully. Okay, all of those words yeah. individually <laughs> are making yeah. sense. Now, I will say, I tried my best to make this sound really cool, but I do want to be crystal clear. This is by far the most niche topic I've ever covered. <laughs> like, like, this is, I think they're really interesting. And I think there's stuff to learn that you learn about, like just thinking about these things, right? Not mm. that maybe you won't actually use these, you know, algorithms, but like it makes my brain happy to like think about these concepts. But like, as interesting as they are, swarm algorithms are almost entirely for really specific use cases or for entirely theoretical and academic purposes. Right. To your point, Caroline, you raised a question that a lot of people sometimes are too down the rabbit hole to ask, which is like, how many applications are there for multidimensional ants, right? Yeah, like, totally. But, you know, like for things like network designs, a lot of like infrastructure stuff, there's some influence. I would love to be corrected if anyone happens to work in one of these like niche fields Ooh, or like hyper-specific yeah. computer science fields. Please let me know if, you, if you've, you've run across these algorithms. But like in the same way that like you can't throw a neural network at every problem in computer <laughs> science... Even more so, you can't just like throw a swarm algorithm at every problem. Right, yeah. Because, to put it plainly, while you can Google neural network and find a bunch of explainers, if you Google particle swarm optimization algorithm, there are no popular science or Smithsonian articles there to help you explain what the fuck is happening. Let alone any articles to explain the real question at hand, which is, why are there so many of them? Right? There's... Sadly, no NPR article going, so what's the deal with these 540 animal <laughs> algorithms? This is like defunct land levels of caring about something nobody cares about. <laughs> like, this is, I care. I, just, I care, but I care mostly because my brain is just at a point of like, yes. surely if there's 500 of these, exactly. then there's got to be a level of crossover something. between them. Surely people are looking at previous mm -hmm. examples and going, oh, that serves my purpose. 
or is it people? Yeah, you know, like that's where well, I'm at. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose the question in a second. So to to bring us back to the real question here, there is not a lot of information, but by God, I needed an answer. <laughs> not because <laughs> again, not because I cared all that much about meta heuristics, but because this was starting to feel like a meta science question and mystery, right? Like this clearly is about more than just algorithms. I also needed an answer because I am stubborn and I felt like <laughs> I was losing my mind. Like I mentioned earlier, I called up a sciencey friend of mine and I showed him. The, actually, I'll, I'll give you guys the list right now just so you can oh peruse my goodness, thank you. all 540. <laughs> Tag yourself. Which one of these are you? <laughs> we got some bangers right at the top. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alibaba and the 40 Thieves optimization. <laughs> yeah, I called up a sciencey friend. I showed him the list and we were literally just like combing through them. There is zombie survival optimization. <laughs> Grenade explosion method, Hunger Games search. We were going through this and we were, it's just like, what is happening? It felt like we had walked into an aisle of the toy store and like suddenly all the Lego sets were for movies that didn't exist. It just like, <laughs> it just hurt my brain. You know, it's like you pick up a Lego and it's like, ah, oh, it's for Groth and the two fairies. And it's like, wait, wait, what? what that, that doesn't. Did I miss was, that one? Did that happen? Is that a Marvel is, thing? Is that, is, I... It sounds like one. It's like, so. Now that we know a bit more about the background of what these algorithms kind of are, what are your thoughts as to what's happening here? Everybody's got a favorite animal and they're like, that's the one. That's the one. Uh, just a huge overlap between like people who are fascinated with like animal behavior and like animal cognition yeah. and people yeah, who yeah, are yeah. like naturally inclined to like be working in with computers and see the connections between like animal behavior. Maybe there's just like a lot of animal nerds <laughs> that work in yeah. computer science. Like, some of these are, like, obscure things, right, that I'm like, I feel like... I mean, the Kawadi. Yeah, like, that's yeah. not a super mainstream animal, but they are popular with furries, which makes me think... <laughs> <gasps> I think the furries are have something to do with it. by furries? Yeah. I unfortunately could not catch any furries red pod, sadly. <laughs> but I will say, when I was looking at this, I was very pessimistic at first, because my first thought was, like, is this research laundering? Like, there can't possibly be... <laughs> That's where my brain goes to, is like, how is this beneficial in any way to be doing right. something which, from like my very basic understanding of it, is like very similar sort of mm -hmm. algorithms, mm -hmm. like over and over and over again, hoping to get a different result. It's like a paper mill operation? Yeah. <laughs> but I will say my friend was very optimistic. He was just like, maybe there's just like lots of applications. Uh, I think... Ellen might be the most optimistic to think that maybe everyone just like loves all these animals. <laughs> Fortunately, my God, finally, I stumbled upon a review <gasps> that tries to explain what the fuck is going on. And it is fascinating. It's a really good read. So this is a review from Zanitos and Donias from 2020 titled Nature Inspired Optimization Algorithms or Simply Variations of Metaheuristics. And Reading this abstract was the most relieving thing I've ever read in the research <laughs> process. I was like, thank God. Because, I mean, it's just like, I was just like, no one, okay, there's, there's no, I was like, I'll take an IFL science article at this point, please. I just Anything. need someone, someone to recognize this. So, you know, he's looking around like, am I taking crazy pills? Like, why is nobody? <laughs> yeah, like, not even like a Quora. Um, so they go, quote, in the last decade, we observe an increasing number of nature-inspired optimization algorithms, 
with authors often claiming their novelty and their capabilities of acting as powerful optimization techniques. However, a considerable number of these algorithms do not seem to draw inspiration from nature Ooh. or to incorporate successful tactics, laws, or practices existing in natural systems. <gasps> while also, some of them have never been applied in any optimization Shut field up. since their first appearance in literature. No so, way. Something that I may have mentioned in the episode that I did about Kawadi is when I found this Kawadi paper is that the entire behavior that they like based this optimization algorithm on, uh -huh. I mentioned this. I said, I couldn't find any other record of this behavior existing. Wow. I mentioned that in the episode because I saw it in the paper and then I was like, they didn't cite any sources for this like <gasps> behavioral study. Mm -hmm. They didn't say where they found this information from. What? I couldn't find any other, no other sources said the Kawadis hunted this way. It was an interesting idea. And like it said that Kawadis hunted iguanas by like flushing them out of a tree. It made sense. Kawadis live in the same place as iguanas. They are pretty social and cooperative with each other. It made sense. They're smart. They can climb trees. It like made sense for Kawadis, but I could find zero other sources that said that Kawadis hunted in the way that the paper said that they did. And this was a concern that I raised. I was like, I don't know if they actually do this or not. <laughs> and and again, I, I I sound like I'm like doing like a huge investigative reveal. Like we, I don't want to like do any strong accusations on these papers. Like they can be Kawadi inspired, and right. that's like fine. Like but like well, there's some other examples. But well, I, I will also say in the Kawadi paper, there's <laughs> is this the escape thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me read this quote because they also it's like oh, it mimics the escape behaviors of Kawadi. So this is the quote. The second phase of the process of updating blah 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 is mathematically modeled based on the natural behavior of kawadis when encountering predators and escaping from predators. When the predator attacks a kawadi, the animal escapes from its position. Full stop. <laughs> what? What? It, it leaves. That is famous that kawadi only. That's what I said. Kawadi's move in this strategy lead it to being in a safe position from its current position. Wow. Tom, no way. literally, exactly my concern. What? I was like, yeah, bro. Like, that's what they not? do. <laughs> that's what if escaping you attacked, is. Homie, that's the definition of the word. <laughs> Gotta say, though, it gets worse. No. <laughs> so, yeah, as we've been saying, the first point here is that most of these aren't really that rigorously inspired by these animals. Uh huh. <laughs> as the paper so plainly puts it, quote, for example, Cats do not form swarms. <laughs> Famously don't. What? When you know it, there is a cat swarm optimization algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Combined with this is the second point that they bring up that, quote, a significant number of these algorithms are very similar. This is exactly your point, Caroline, you brought yeah. up. Yes. A significant number of these algorithms are very similar to other already existing ones. Usually, algorithms... Caroline's hands in the I'm air. I'm like, I'm mad about this. They go, quote, usually algorithms with weak inspiration hold their names to differentiate from other popular approaches that work in the same oh, way. Mm. That feels really naughty. It's like, well, what is a, a leopard algorithm must be different from like a cockroach algorithm. Of course. Because they, they're different animals. So for example, <laughs> they mentioned the gray wolf optimizer and the whale optimizer. No. And they say, quote, both algorithms make use of the same encircling hunting method, which is performed through the same parameters, except one, the radius that affects the movements around the best solution. 
Whales have famously identical hunting patterns to gray wolves, just bigger. Mm. Of course. I think yeah, I think absolutely. Darwin said that, right? Right. He did say that evolution produces many beautiful things. And one of those things is the circling hunting patterns of both wolves right. the wolf and, and the whale so being the identical. Yeah. Right. That's why they both start with W. It, it all makes sense. <laughs> they also point out that some research groups are kind of just like churning these out, which is could be fine. That's not an indictment. It gives mm. me the ick, you know. But even if they are working completely out of good faith, as the review puts it, quote, Skepticism increases since the results of each new algorithm are equivalent to those of the rest of the similar algorithms proposed by the same authors. Basically saying like, you're going to diminish the effectiveness of what your publication means when it's just like similar minimal increases. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say a lot of these are very similar to particle swarm optimization at the end of the day. It's like... They're just like variations of particles. And I think also because this is such a niche field, it's easier for folks to get away with this, right? Oh, yeah. Until now. <laughs> well, oh, so that all sucks, right? <laughs> yeah. But the reason I love this paper is because it did not just bring the receipts. It also brought the nuance. <gasps> oh, oh, Because... <laughs> Not all of these algorithms are shitty. And this next part was the most interesting thing for me of the whole review. It's really emblematic of, of what's happening here. So you remember how I said there were 22 different B algorithms? Uh-huh. They include things like the bees algorithm, the marriage and honeybees algorithm, the honeybees mating optimization algorithm, the artificial bee colony algorithm, the bumblebee algorithm, and the bee pollen collecting algorithm. Okay. Of those six. Four of those are widely used and successful. Nice. And two of them have, quote, no application even after 10 years. Oh, bummer. I guess they couldn't have known that when they put that out, right? Like they would have maybe thought it had applications and then it just. And that's another great point. We'll we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. But, but, But the point with this beast things is like when they're all called B algorithms, it's impossible for us who have been laughing at this name to know that the marriage in honeybees algorithm paper has been cited 604 times. Oh my god. It's a good name. It's That's a banger intense. name. Like I literally I put that in the funny names list and then read this paper and was like, "Oh." oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we can't let these bad papers make us pessimistic to the good ones. Right. And the other thing to, to consider is that, like, even though these absurd names of, like, niche animals usually are not that accurate to the animal, on the other hand, like, the only reason we're talking about this is because someone made a Kawadi algorithm. Right. So it worked. Like, I mean, I hate to be like, we're talking about it, aren't we? But, like, there is, like, yeah. arguably some kind of science communication happening obviously when it's wrong that's bad but like there's nothing inherently wrong with saying i want to make an algorithm based on this obscure animal name Mm -hmm. i will say that's more debatable Mm. but for me the biggest thing and this is the point that ellen just made is most of all and i had to catch myself because i found myself doing this is like as frustrating as this all is we also can't let ourselves get carried away with judging papers based only on their practical usefulness, Mm. right? We say this all the time on the show that like research for research's sake is 
right is fine right, right. like we, we've yeah, said that all absolutely. the time and I, I think that's especially true for this like small insular field of swarm algorithms right and you don't always know how applicable something is going to be yeah exactly. like when you publish it you don't know like if this is going to take off and be like a cornerstone of research later or if it's just going to you're going to put it out there and it's like okay neat well for example ellen i mentioned that like lots of these papers are for completely theoretical purposes or almost for like no real world problem but at the exact same time, the ant colony optimization algorithm that I mentioned earlier, which has now been cited over 5,000 times, was, when it came out, a completely theoretical PhD thesis. Oh, mm. there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give it time. We could come back to it. <laughs> so yeah, who are we to, to be judging? You know, because like I almost, at my most pessimistic moment, I was like, these are probably just like undergrads, like publishing these like slight variations, but like... Who fucking cares? like that's <laughs> that's fine. Like like yeah. It, it 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 you know obviously it could be done better right because there are mistakes and there's that's, there's there's yeah. like phony biology happening. But I hope we are less riled up. Like I hope our pitchforks are down now after <laughs> after after I I, really I sort got of got us riled up and like excited to be angry at something to then go ah uh, but wait there's a that's nuance. the best. that's for me that's an ideal topic is for me to get your pitchforks out and then put them down on the sofa to be like maybe another time or like maybe just like <laughs> we'll hold on to those yeah yeah exactly ah uh, I'll just more I'll just wave it around a bit my topic will give will give you an opportunity to pick those pitchforks right back up yes! so keep them keep, so keep, them, keep them at the ready but yeah how do you guys feel about this now I, I feel like when it comes to this mystery we got to like unmask the culprits but then we also got to learn some of their nuanced reasonings and i'm like oh man i almost want to let them go like it's like, the cowardly dog like, sort of like yeah 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 they weren't that bad <laughs> it's like oh it was old man jenkins and it's like yeah but he has also been affected by like structural poverty and like had all these reasonings yeah. for why he did <laughs> this not and, in that a and union. That. it's like yeah it was like shoplifting from like a big organization it's like oh man like it's a real sean valjean it's a real yeah yeah exactly yeah. so yeah how, how do you guys feel about this now a part of me is still a bit like the bad biology in there should not be yeah. happening. Mm. <laughs> but I also guess as like somebody with a biology background that gets me extra riled up, whereas possibly other people sure. in different fields would feel differently. But yeah, just like it's a moment to acknowledge that research and understanding for research and understanding's sake is not a bad thing that we should be like necessarily pitchforking at you know and for me i feel like regardless of like whether i feel like what's maybe happening with a lot of these is that they come up with the idea of the algorithm and they do that all this stuff and then they retroactively mm. like yes, apply an animal yeah, behavior yeah. to it and for me i feel like if they hadn't used the sort of explanation of like, it's because of how Kawadis hunt iguanas. There's not a chance in hell I would have understood a single word of that paper. Like would have had no oh, idea yeah. what oh, yeah. they were talking about, would not have understood that they were like searching for an objective in a field, uh -huh. like using it as a way to like explain what the algorithm was doing at all. Immensely helpful for me as like a complete normie, right? Like if yeah, it hadn't used yeah. that, point, point. I would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep in mind that like paragraph you read, Caroline. Like this is like yes, exactly. Super, 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 yeah. super niche research. Yeah, and like this is for me to like understand what they're going for when they say that. Yeah. Like it's gonna take, but I, I I'm okay with them using an analogy of like maybe it's not super like realistic. You know, like maybe Kawadis don't really hunt that way. Yeah. But it helped me understand what they're going for. Maybe they should have the space to be like at the start, be like, I just like Kawadis. It's a fun <laughs> yeah. name. Like, this isn't actually super based on it. But Let like, me have my moment. You know, another thing that I'm sure is also the, like, 
pressure to make everything have to sound so novel, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have mm -hmm. to, in order to get published, you, you often have to like say like, this is a new thing inspired by this and that kind of, uh, uh, you know, I will say the, the people who wrote this wonderful review, the like science detective duo, Zanetos and Dunyas, they advocate for more guidelines and standards for like comparing these algorithms to each other ah, to see if they like actually nice. are novel. And yeah. also like a database of some kind to be able to see them all before you like publish or to think about them. But uh, they are also still kind of like optimistic about their research. At oh, the end that's of the day. good. Yeah. Mm. You know, like obviously there's a lot of noise happening, but like that also means there's a lot of interest in a super niche computer science idea, right? Mm. Like it's obviously kind of jumbly and there's some, you know, but like. There, there's people there. That's usually how like things are when they start off as a discipline, yeah, right? Like yeah, when right. a new discipline starts, it's shitty for a while. I mean, God, we named everything uh -huh. crabs. <laughs> Who among us has not has not done bad taxonomy before? But but more than uh, that, you know. And I think this is again, this is an open question, right? Like there is no hard answer about that. I just love that there was this wild ride. Like I, I just love when that happens, where it's like I we got to learn about boids and multidimensional ants and this debate over hundreds of papers that made me like think and rethink things all because we followed the trail of a brazilian aardvark uh, and of course because of our good friend ellen weatherford uh, I'm really excited for her to listen to this episode. Oh my goodness, yes. We should get her back on sometime. She's going to love it. I don't know about that. Let's not, let's not, oh, let's not push it. Okay, cool. That's, that seems reasonable. Um, <laughs> Once was enough. But yeah, That's enough of that. Ellen, yeah, this question was entirely because of your suggestion. And boy, howdy. You were like, here's your, your Christmas gift is this single <laughs> loose thread. And I was like, thanks. And then I kept pulling. I was Pull like, it. oh my God. Wow. You could even say, boy, howdy. <gasps> Boy, howdy! Tom is giving you nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's and, not oh, and guess that. what, Caroline? The edit is not going to give you anything either. No, I'm not. I'm not going to cut like... a second of that silence. I'm mostly upset that I didn't say it. Honestly, <laughs> Boyd howdy! Oh, that's good. Thank you. No, that's good. Thank Bravo. you. <laughs> what a beautiful flower that bloomed from that little baby seed of a question isn't that wild hey that goes to show like that thing about like if you have a stupid question ask it right because i was it. like i have no yeah. idea what the fuck i'm looking at tom please help <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look yeah. what we got out of it chase dimensional uh quaddies. don't i'll never forgive you for making me read that <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Sydney, you're a physician and the co-host of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine, right? That's true, Justin. Is it true that our medical history podcast is just as good as a visit to your primary care physician? No, Justin, that is absolutely not true. Uh, however, our podcast is funny and interesting and a great way to learn about the medical misdeeds of the past, as well as some current not-so-legit healthcare fads. So you're saying that by listening to our podcast, people will feel better. Sure. And isn't that the same reason that you go to the doctor? Well, uh, you could say that. But and our podcast is free? Yes, it is free. You heard it here first, folks. Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguided Medicine right here on Maximum Fun. Just as good as going to the doctor. No, no, no. Still not just as good as going to the doctor, but but pretty good. It's up there. So, today's miscellaneous topic is lemmings. 
which <gasps> I know we've been a little science, a little animal heavy, but I promise I'm steering away from science on this one. <laughs> Ooh. I promise I'm trying not to go super sciencey on this. Can I be honest? I feel like each of these has been, the first one's been evolution. The second one has been algorithms. And this sounds like it's going to be about a lie is what I think it will be about. So they're all about animals, but they're all about. It's about a series of lies and corporate misinformation. <gasps> yes. And it's, it, this goes all the way to the top. I'm <laughs> so excited. So I want to start this by asking y'all what you know about lemmings. I know the video game lemmings. Oh, which very is good. about a bunch okay. of little, little guys that you guide around. Yeah. I've seen the clip. I think it might have been played in school once of yes. that famous clip of a bunch of lemmings jumping off a cliff. Oh, you're familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. I feel like I actually am familiar about a spoiler for the clip of the lemmings yeah, falling I off. Don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Be, be like a lemon, Caroline. <laughs> or be like a fake lemming. So, as Caroline has suggested. Well, I mean, also the colloquial term lemming is, yes. is someone who, like, follows other people. Oh, the yes, follower. Yeah, you're like a blind conformity. I, I, bet, I bet if I if I Google that, yeah. If you look up lemming, you're going to get a bunch of political cartoons. Ooh. It's mostly political cartoons of, like, you know, uh, people, like, blind followership, conformity, usually with the implication that people will follow a crowd even to their detriment, right, to their harm, to their death, because of this idea that lemmings uh, will follow a herd, like they will herd up and then run off of the side of a cliff and plummet into the ocean below and die. Much like the clip that you mentioned from uh, the 1958 documentary White Wilderness. In some ways, it's almost it's almost Boyd-like, right? It's like, yeah. oh, they're just following each other and they yeah. don't think about, you know, I see, I see the intuition. Yeah. 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 With the idea being that they do this even to the point that they will follow each other off of a cliff and die. Um, and doesn't that say something about society these days and right. uh, wokeness about how we're all... It's very sheeple. <gasps> yeah, wow. sheeple. It's like the pre-sheeple. Uh, before <laughs> people started calling them sheeple, they started they called them lemmings. Uh, but lemmings are like emblematic of that. Yeah, every political cartoonist just like yeah, their jaw dropped lemmings. when they heard about this. They were like, you, are love you that fucking shit. kidding me? Let's go! I can finally put 1984 down. <laughs> <laughs> I have a second metaphor. So... Let's talk about what lemmings actually are. So lemmings are small rodents. They're native to the far north, found in Arctic tundras. Oh, really? They're Arctic little guys. And even just like, they're so cute. They look like little hamsters. They're actually so cute. Oh, I think they're adorable. And the sort of human tendency to just make shit up about lemmings goes all the way back to no no wait really <laughs> no do we have a history of pulling shit with wait, lemmings wait wait wait, wait, wait really? to the 1500s no, no way, way. <laughs> in what? the 1500s scientists thought I saw, I saw a bunch of different like researchers in the 1500s who were just like writing random shit down <laughs> say that lemmings spawned into existence in the sky <laughs> and fell to the ground <laughs> during storms. Oh, Tom's gone. Tom's left his chair. And that they just they rained just... down into the sky. So <laughs> this is like not that far-fetched considering that like spontaneous generation was... Uh -huh. Oh, it was a we theme, about wasn't that it? Yeah. Yeah. They thought that happened. They didn't know but better. But the 1500s? The 50s. a little late I for that. Guess. But, but this idea is inspired by folklore. So people indigenous to the Norton Sound area had this folklore about um, lemmings 
things falling from the sky during storms. And then Europeans who were in that area would hear this folklore and they'd write it down. They'd just right. think, yeah, sure, they fall to the ground during storms, which must mean they already had this idea of spontaneous generation. So they're like, that must be it then. Um, and it, so it really didn't seem that weird because like people already thought that like geese grew on trees from barnacles and stuff like that. Like they already <laughs> yeah, had weird ideas like about where animals yeah, came yeah. from. So like this didn't seem that wrong this wasn't too far-fetched oh, but still yeah. my god it wasn't until the 1600s that danish physician and ridiculous name haver old worm i swear to christ his name was old worm would you still love me if i was an old worm <laughs> i was old worm <laughs> And I have an entire separate page of notes about Old Worm, an icon, Slay. Give us a little taste. His whole deal was like he was just like an eccentric uncle from like a steampunk novel. He was this Danish physician. Uh, his whole big deal was kind of like collecting. He kind of like started the entire concept of museums. Uh, he oh, had the, wow. this no collection way. and he collected like little bits of like bones, rocks, animal specimens. But it was literally just in his house. Right. And like people would just come <laughs> to his house and look at his cool shit. That's such a vibe. Wow. I want that for me. Maximalism yeah. all the way. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's just like very like three goblins in a trench coat sort of energy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. He examined like unicorn horns that were sold by Scandinavian <laughs> traders and was the one oh that found gosh. out that they were narwhal tusks. <gasps> no fucking oh way. He also proved that birds of paradise do in fact have feet. Um <laughs> which was a big thing. You know what he had? You know what he had in his house? A pet raccoon that was actually a kawadi mundi. <laughs> a kawadi. <laughs> He had a pet kawadi that he thought was a raccoon, which is very funny to me. So, Holy awesome shit. guy. Wow. Amazing. Obsessed with this guy. Oh, that's Old Worm. My new band is Old Worm and the Jace Dimensional Kawadi. <laughs> <The Jace> Dimensional. <laughs> so, his, his relation to all this is that he got his hands on a lemming and dissected it. And he proved anatomically oh. that lemmings were, in fact, just regular old rodents born <laughs> on Earth, not spontaneously Boring. generated from the sky. Oh. He was like the well actually guy of the 1600s. <laughs> it's like, no, guys, it's fine. Just look. I mean, there was a lot to well actually back then. Yeah, most like, of it. You had to kind of start of from it. scratch with most of human knowledge. So <laughs> already we're, we're operating at a very low level of understanding with lemmings. So fast forward to 1877 uh an article comes out in popular science and it is titled the norwegian lemming I'm sorry, they've been around that long yeah they've been around a minute wow wow it's titled the norwegian lemming and its migrations and this is a whole article about lemmings attempting to migrate across the atlantic ocean shut and then drowning up. because the ocean's big as hell and these are little guys <laughs> and the author suggests... Wait, wait, they're trying to swim the swim across an ocean? Is that that's what, what the author says. The author says they're swimming directly into the Atlantic Ocean. They, it's obviously very far, so they drown. Um, and the author <laughs> suggests that they're driven by an instinct to migrate to a land where they used to live that must now be submerged what? in the ocean. Is this like hey, an Atlantis-style it's, like, it's theme? He suggests that it's a different continent, what a fictional, Earth? completely fictional, like didn't never really what? existed content called lemuria that like what? a lot of people at the time thought was real it wasn't real it's very atlantis like lost continent sort of thing wow ellen ellen i just 
I really thought I knew this topic. No. <laughs> I really was Absolutely yeah, going to right? be like, Nobody I gotta like, hold back and let Ellen do this because I, I know about the film and how that's fake. I did not know it's about so much more. Lee, Lee Maria. Yeah. That is so... <laughs> also, like, of that time of mm-hmm. the kind of, like, animal behavior because it's like, there's parts of it where it's like, you know, the concept of, like, uh, innate knowledge that, that some animals do have. But the idea that that would be, like, tied to a nation state right like of lee murray that like that 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 somehow is in like through generations they know about a land that this is like was... it's just like there's still too much like humanness to their to yeah. their these kinds of ecologies you know like yeah. it's, it's very it's interesting yeah so he thought that maybe lemmings were trying to cross the ocean because they had an instinct to go back to their continent but that the continent is under the ocean now this is like in the early days of like them trying to figure out why the continents are where they are like they didn't really have a firm grasp oh, of like sure. plates too, shifting yeah. and continents yeah, drifting yeah. like they, that was <laughs> a little advanced they didn't really have a firm grasp on that stuff yet um so all of that was not true and the truth is that lemmings <laughs> <laughs> none of that was was actually good to say good to clear yeah so the the truth is that lemmings periodically experience these population booms where their numbers just suddenly skyrocket there will suddenly be tons and tons and tons of lemmings it's not like a clockwork cyclical thing it's not like you can count on it like every spring there's a bunch of lemmings it's more like every like three to five years there will suddenly be a bunch of lemmings but it's not like evenly spaced it's just kind of like in response to environmental factors and then they're territorial and they're very like they don't like Mm. to be to share space with each other so when you have a suddenly a very dense population they need to spread out so they'll disperse and when they do disperse they will usually try to cross a land like they Uh they will usually look for land crossing first if they really need to they'll swim across um and but it's for like really short distances they'll like cross a river Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. cross from one like it's it's they're not swimming directly into the ocean they're trying to cross a very small body of water and then like they're also really good swimmers like they're very buoyant they stay at the top they're really strong swimmers they usually make it like they're usually (gasps) fine and which you know they could get eaten by a predator or just drown in the process accidents happen but it's it's like they usually make it they're usually fine um very different from what the author described as them just like killing themselves in droves by swimming directly into the atlantic ocean (laughs) but that was what was out there right that was what somebody had said it was in popular science right so that was kind of the idea that stuck when have they ever been wrong (laughs) right people were just like well they said it so it must be true so fast forward again to 1958 disney filmmakers are working on the nature documentary, White Wilderness. Yes. They had heard the accounts, these descriptions of lemmings leaping into the ocean to their demise. Sounds really cool. Sounds really dramatic. They wanted to catch it on film, right? They got to get like, that's a really cool thing. If you can get that on camera, like obviously everyone's going to be talking about that. So they're like, well, let's go film it. Only to find out that they couldn't because it doesn't happen. It's not real. Like, it doesn't happen. So, of course, they couldn't get video of it because it's not real. And then they decided that they were going to go and film something else and no lemmings were harmed in and the everything process. Was and fine. everything was fine. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Let's just, let's just focus on Lion King or something. Yeah. Or... <laughs> but also, can you imagine, though, being, being those filmmakers and just being like, fuck. 
Well, <laughs> shit, back to the drawing board. I'm not I'm not justifying what they're about to do, which sounds bad, but but like like how how are we the ones figuring this out, right? Like how are we <laughs> yeah. as a documentary crew being the ones to make this discovery, right? Or like discovery, quote unquote. Well, apparently they only got through they only got through the grieving process to the denial phase and decided to stay there. <laughs> They were like, nope, it actually must be true because we need it to be for our jobs. So they decided they were going to make it happen. Oh, no. Yeah. They bought a truckload of lemmings purchased (gasps) for a dollar each. Purchased a truck of lemmings. And uh, also, apparently, they were uh, the wrong species of lemming, apparently. They were, like, brown lemmings instead of Norwegian lemmings, which I guess is a different thing. So they bought a truckload of lemmings. Every detail of this. Again, this is the part that we know, but hearing those details makes it so much worse. It's so fucked up. So they brought this truckload of lemmings to... Alberta, Canada, which what? which like a big part of the controversy around this movie is that like they made it sound like it was like up in the Arctic Circle and it was just in like Alberta, which is <laughs> like it's really far north, but it's it's like one of the southern provinces of Canada. Like it's like right on the border. Mm-hmm. Um, so they drove all these lemmings to Alberta and put the lemmings on turntables at the top of a cliff. What? Covered the turntable with snow so you couldn't see that they were like on a turntable and then (gasps) shoved them off, like pushed them off of the cliff while filming from below so you can't see that they're being pushed. Like that's why in that clip from the documentary, the camera is like below them and you see them like sliding off the edge. They're not jumping. They're sliding because they're being pushed by filmmakers who like want to get the shot. And the lemmings are like, we don't No, I'm not into this. I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to jump off the cliff. And they're like, yes, you do. Sorry. Caroline and I. We're just in stunned silence just too right shocked. now. Just too shocked. It's so deeply fucked up. Wow. And, and another thing is that. Another thing? Another thing? What do you mean another stop. thing? The, the film claims that the lemmings are leaping into the Arctic Ocean. Alberta is landlocked. landlocked. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like 2,000 miles south of the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> like thousands of miles away from it. The, and they're just like, they're filming this on a river, like on a cliff over like a river and just pushing lemmings off with like camera angles set up to make it so that it looks like they're just jumping off what into their the doom. Fuck? Yeah. So... You know, this is already <sighs> something that does not happen in nature that, you know, can, this... can I also say the fucked up part? Like, if you're already faking it, if you're already like stunt designing this, it's like, couldn't you have stunt designed them to just like fall off screen into a pillow? Right. right like, couldn't you have done yeah. this in a cool like, way? Like, if you're already fabricating it, why not fabricate? Why not fully go for it, it and let them live way? at the end of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Other than yeah. they have to keep a truckload. That's true. Because then they're like, what are we going to do with all these lemmings? Like, yeah. yeah. A truckload of wet lemmings. <laughs> <laughs> And and this movie won Oscars. Like what this film was way. like massively popular, no. extremely like critically acclaimed. Did not know that because like audiences aren't going to know any better, right? Like if you no, don't know yeah. this stuff, you're taking it at face value. And at this point, 
there was no common knowledge of lemmings, right? Like this was the sort of thing that like, if you were really into like Arctic expeditions, you might know about them. But like, if you Uh were just like the regular average American person, you'd probably never heard of them. This is the thing we know about lemmings. That's (laughs) the thing that everybody knows about them. If they know about them at all, if they've ever heard of them, it's this. So, you know, the film is really, really popular. It introduces this cliff jumping myth into popular culture. Uh, where lemmings are now still like the pop culture symbol of like conformity and followership. But lemmings are fiercely aggressive. Like they are (gasps) very territorial. They do not like each other. They don't like (laughs) herd or anything like that to any extent. Anyone who's ever worked with rodents, uh, like um, hamsters and stuff, will tell you they can't fucking stand each other. They will eat each other. They will eat each other alive. (laughs) Yep. Lemmings also have a reputation for fighting off predators much larger than themselves. Hell yeah. They will fight to the death. They will absolutely go for it. They do not have fight or flight. It's fight or fight. It's just fight. Wow. Only fight. (laughs) When they feel threatened, they make loud sounds and like scream and like just absolutely put their all into like they're making those intimidation checks like crazy, even though they're like this big. (laughs) So like they are extremely like voracious and and fierce and independent right like nothing like what people think lemmings are like wow in fact they are so hostile that (laughs) according to i can't i kept seeing this thing in like every article i was reading about lemmings i kept seeing this idea that like contrary to popular belief lemmings don't actually explode and i was like why do you why would anyone think they did i was like who are you refuting like who is saying this who are you arguing with (laughs) and i was digging and digging to try to find who thinks this and i found a medium (gasps) blog post which you know medium is just like a blogging site right it's not like Mm -hmm. a news article a news outlet or anything but this is a blog post by a writer iselin aspen who writes, Norwegian children are taught that lemmings explode when they get angry. <laughs> because they get so angry? They, they do explode? get extremely angry. They are, they, I mean, they really, they scream, they bite, they do everything and they like, can. At wow. least that myth is based on their actual behavior. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's more <You> know? correct. <laughs> that's, that's so more funny. Correct that's than so the cliff funny. jumping. Like, that's <gasps> more, but you know, the idea is that I guess this is like a thing that they tell kids, which feels like, like an older brother thing to do, right? Yeah. This feels yeah, like yeah, something yeah. your dad would tell you as like a joke. And then it's one of those things you just never question. It just stays in your mind as like, that must be true. But I guess apparently that is a common uh, little myth about lemmings that they explode That's when they funny. get angry. So they don't fall from the sky. They don't jump off cliffs and they don't explode. So forget what you, un- let's unlearn everything about lemmings. <laughs> in wow. I was doing notes on this uh, and I couldn't like make it fit into an episode of our podcast, but every new thing I added to my Google Doc on this felt like I was like <laughs> it felt like a constant like <laughs> veer to the left in <laughs> like a random direction. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't we get lemmings right? Like, what is the block here? What's yeah, happening? Why can't done we done them a disservice at every single point in human history? Every like, opportunity. What? Yeah, we just had to sit and watch them for a little bit. And everybody just sat and watched them for five minutes and was like, ah, that'll do. I've got it. I'll just make some stuff up. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I think one thing that hopefully will help me internalize this more is like you hear the fun fact it's like oh actually they don't actually jump off a cliff and it's like okay cool but to know 
that like the reason why is because they're fighty fuckers <laughs> helps me like replace the wrong thing with a new correct thing which i like yeah 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 yeah. justice for lemmings justice, justice for, for the lemmings. lemmings yes fight for them because they would fight for you to the death don't be like a lemming be like a lemming <laughs> <laughs> ellen thank you so much for being here like Absolutely. such a, <laughs> it was a scheduling nightmare and 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 this ended up being uh, uh a joy uh instead oh, so it's, it's always wonderful and yeah and thank you truly joy for me too thank you all it's always a delight talking to y'all oh that's what i was fishing for where can people <laughs> find you <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on just the zoo of us on the maximum fun Woo. network yes <gasps> listen to the kawani episode yeah you could start at the kawani episode or you could start on the rats episode uh, <gasps> yeah i hear that you had some really cool people on that one uh, yeah uh -huh. you could listen to the rats episode really had uh, your hands full with so many people you happen to have any crab episodes? So many. Well, I wouldn't say so many. So we have a... Well, the, they'll all be crab episodes eventually. <laughs> you just give them a couple million years and they'll all be. We have a Japanese spider crab. Amazing. Fun. Yes. What is it called? The pom-pom crab. That was a pretty recent one. The pom-pom crab cool. is a really fun one. We'll have to take a look. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is your other show also oh, for yeah. folks? The other show is called Spellbound and Gagged. It's on a bit of a hiatus right now. There's only like, I think, eight episodes out. Um, and we haven't been making any of them because I just moved across the country with two kids. So I uh, have yeah. not had time uh, to serve, but it, it will be coming back. I just need to um, get settled in after our big move. You've had uh, friends of the show, Katie Golden and yes. Alex Schmidt on. Both of them have been yes. on. We talked about uh, Pompeii and we talked about Parasites. So oh, fun times brilliant. both. Yeah. I love both Bong Joon-ho and Bastille. So I'm really excited for those. Oh, I, I, did, I did take a moment to really dig into the song, actually, in the episode. Oh, because fantastic. it's a fucking banger. Oh, I love brilliant. that song. <laughs> <laughs> Can, can, I please, can I please say one more thing? Of course. Of course yes. song. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't not say it. No, In please. this song, the A-A-U, A-U, A-A-U uh -huh. is a Latin exclamation, A-U, E-H-E-U. It's no. like an exclamation from Latin, what they would say when they were like in no. shock about something. It's like saying like, oh shit, basically. No. Like, that oh A-U, the reason oh, they shit. say A-U oh, in the shit. song is because that's what the Romans would have been saying as the volcano <gasps> erupted. Is I don't know how I feel about that. I can't <laughs> that tell if that's clever so or weird. Oh, it's yeah, weird. I, I, I got chills and then cringe, and I yeah! can't tell. Uh... It's so fucking good. I so good. I love that song. <laughs> that's I was led so... to my own divine. <laughs> But if you close your eyes. Ayo, ayo, ayo. <laughs> we gotta stop ending episodes in song. I don't know why that keeps happening. <laughs> Caroline, where can people find us? You can find us on letslearneverything.com. You can find all of our socials. You can find all of our episodes. You can find our Discord server. You can find our merch there as well. Um, I'll say, as a call out, let us know your favorite real crabs and fake crabs. Yeah. Go through. I'll definitely be posting that list. Let us know oh your goodness, favorite yes. algorithm. And share us if you happen to know any real lemming facts. Let us know those. Oh, delightful. Yes, please do. Well, this episode, we learned about carcinization and how not every single living being is going to become a crab, but crab-like bodies are in vogue right now. So that's something to keep an eye on. <laughs> We learned about 
animal-inspired algorithms. We learned about voids. We learned about multidimensional ants and how to visualize them in the space. <laughs> the nuances of research into this field and why it feels repetitive. And of course, why you should always ask the stupid questions. And <laughs> we unlearned everything we know about <laughs> lemmings. We figured out that they don't come from the sky or from an Atlantis-like continent. They don't jump <laughs> off cliffs. <laughs> I wrote this one down because I was like, I want to mention that. Yeah. Return to Lemuria is a wonderful <laughs> book title. And we also learned that lemmings don't explode. Join us <laughs> <laughs> next time. <laughs> we'll learn about everything. Let's Learn Everything is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted and produced by Ella Hubber, Tom Lunn and Caroline Roper with editing and music by the wonderful and talented Tom Lunn. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.